Welcome to What to Do When, a podcast from Real Lawyers with Real Perspective, where we explore a variety of legal issues and scenarios. Each week, we focus on a new topic and discuss what to do when and if any of these legal scenarios ever happen to you or a loved one. With over 40 years of combined legal experience, our hosts offer their unique perspectives and insights on a range of real-life legal situations. Hi, and welcome back to another podcast with Kreiser Cardani here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Jackie, and this is Scott. Hey, how are you doing? Jackie, what's on our docket for today? Today, what to do when you defend yourself or you have to defend yourself, part two. It's the doctrine of retreat. Yeah, that's a big one because, again, if you listen to our last podcast, we got into kind of the big picture self-defense issues and the fact that a judge or a jury gets determined sort of what's reasonable response. And then, but what we wanted to talk to today is, um, do you have to retreat in a self-descent and situation? What's your obligation? Those kind of things. And again, well, retreat, do you what, I mean, yeah, retreat. what does that even mean? What does that even mean? I think the best way to describe it is what we were talking about is this. Say I'm outside. I'm in a hallway Fairly long hallway, 12 foot long. I have. Maybe in the courthouse. Maybe in the courthouse. Or I'm in Walmart, maybe. Whatever it is. So a lot of open space. And somebody is approaching me with a knife and saying, hey, Scott, I'm going to stab you. You know? So at that point, I think people get it wrong with self-defense as far as the law goes. Don't give me. My belief is somewhat different than that. But at that point, you have lots of opportunity to get out of that guy's way. You have no need to approach him. There's just no point in it. Call 911. Do something right. Because I'll guarantee you approaching him is going to go bad a hundred different ways. No matter how tough you are, how much you could dishand. It doesn't even matter that you could take the knife from him and put it where the sun don't shine. Which a lot of people can. Because normally a person... Wielding weapons usually doesn't know how to handle them. There's a lot of truth to that. That's why people do get shot, not because they know what they're doing, but usually because they don't know what they're doing. Right. So the point is, in that situation, it's reasonable that you would just walk away. Why would you approach anybody with a knife and start a fight and then say, oh, yeah, give me the right to pull out my Smith & Wesson 45 and shoot him in the head? Right. I don't think a jury is going to find that's real reasonable or anybody else, especially when they're saying you could have left. And maybe that person's mentally deranged or maybe he's had a bad day or had too much to drink. Whatever it is, all those factors are going to play into how the jury, the judge looks at your response of self-defense. In Virginia, I call it the castle doctrine. It's really not called the castle doctrine in Virginia, but in your home, there's no duty to retreat, really. Because they figure, the way we look at it is your home is your last place of refuge. So if you're sitting in your home and somebody breaks through the window with a gun or a knife, you're pretty open to what you can do to respond to that. Well, we've seen these lawsuits, though, and and things in the news, the sensationalized pieces where, oh, the burglar fell through the sunroof and then sued the homeowner. Yeah, exactly. we've, We've seen these things. So you're saying you find an intruder in your home. You don't have to leave your home. You don't have to leave your home. And that's pretty clear in Virginia law. And and you, at that point, your life is in danger. They've entered your home. So your 
reasonable response to force at that point can be shooting them with a gun. And I say normally because <laughs> that should be okay and normally is okay. Defending your property, even if there's not a risk to life or limb, is what you're talking about. Yeah, your home. Let's make sure it's not home, not my car. There's right. a difference. You your know? home property, right? Obviously, your- if you're in your car, you can't escape out of your car necessarily. If somebody comes at you, you know, it's not easy to crawl over the other other side of your car and crawl the car, especially in today's modern cars, you don't have this big bench seat you right. can slide over. So there's a lot of that stuff. But our biggest point today is just to realize, number one, again, it, for me, it goes back to our constitutional obligation to of self-restraint. You know, we have an, a duty to live in a, a society of laws and rules, and that requires us first, number one, to be the person in control of ourselves and we have to govern ourselves or it doesn't work. If we ever, nobody's governing themselves and it's just chaos. So we have to make good decisions. And I, you know, we go to these self-defense classes and I'm all about that. Trust me, (laughs) if you know anything about me. So, but we just still have to be reasonable just because somebody walks down the road. And I've seen this happen. Somebody walking down the road going, I'm going to kill everybody. And some guy with a gun jumps out because he wants, he feels empowered to defend. And I get that. He's like, you're not going to get anybody, dude. You're going to probably get a brandishing charge. Right. So, because you really didn't have any reason to get in that fray. Now, you're talking about, you said they're, they're, they're coming in the door last week or the other podcast you talked about. The, the guy was sort of half in, half out. Yeah. <laughs> what about on your property line? And I'm just talking about here in Virginia. We can talk about Montana and Colorado and other states and how they feel about property lines. <laughs> but in Virginia... Somebody's come on your property. They're in your front yard. It's clearly your property of your home. Can you defend your property the way you can defend your home? Yes and no. How about that for a great answer? Hmm, It's not, it's not your, it's not your last place. You can still walk into your house. Mm -hmm. So you engaging them for being on your property. I think quite frankly, you could say you need to leave my property and hold your gun up and I don't think anybody could get you for brandishing because you're you're protecting your property. They're coming onto your property, which is a threat to you. Why else would they be coming on your property? Mm-hmm. Obviously can't do that to the mailman folks, okay? He's he has some right to come on and put his put your mail in. Now, trust me, I've seen it or I wouldn't say it. So anyway, <laughs> but the point being you have somewhat of a again, this is this self-restraint thing. What's the best thing to do in that situation? Here comes some guy on your property. The best thing to do is probably go in your door, shut the door and go, 911, I got this crazy guy out my, you know, obviously he keeps coming. That changes the whole circumstance. But most people threaten. And people, we see the sensationalization of news. But that's a one in a thousand, one in a million case, 95% of the time. And most people do a lot of talking, but don't do a lot of action. It's just I'm going to have a really hard time seeing somebody coming up my driveway or coming across my lawn, whether they've got a knife or a gun, or I can't tell what they have. And they're coming towards my front door. They're coming towards the front of my house. I'm going to have a really hard time only picking up the phone. I might pick up the phone and say, I've just killed an intruder, just like <laughs> she did in uh, Sleeping yeah. with the Enemy, right? He, he came in her house. If you haven't seen the movie, you really should. But the husband, estranged husband who is so severely abusive found her, made his way into her home. And she she did, I think she took his gun. I think his gun ended up on the floor and she grabbed it. 
and she was holding it and she's on the phone and she said, please come. She's called 911 and he's laying on the floor and she's right there. Got a gun on him. Please come quickly. She says, I've just killed an intruder. Right. And, and the look on his face is like, oh, my gosh. And she shoots him and she kills him. Um, I, I mean, I can understand why somebody might do that. But what if it's not your home? What if I'm over at your house and you are you don't see what's going on and i do can i can i still defend your house the way that we're talking about again i wish i could say it should be an easy yes it really should i mean it really should folks nobody should have the right to take upon themselves to come on your property with ill intent period Mm -hmm. And that's where I get into that whole thing of self-restraint. At that moment, you broke your protocol. And there is a provision even in the criminal law where, um, but for his actions, none of this would have happened. Hmm. So, but for him walking in, get the but for. So, but for that piece of information happening, none of the other would have happened. And that is a good, a good self-defense attorney will bring that up. And there's a lot of law out there that nobody uses in this area that, gives that as an opportunity to bring some things to bear. But, and that's the problem with self-defense. If you don't know what you're doing, you miss some points and your defense becomes imperfect. And then you, and again, the imperfect mm -hmm. defense doctrine basically says you defended yourself, but you went too far. So sometimes it'll lessen the charge from malicious wounding to assault and battery or something oh, okay. lesser. So that's not always a really, obviously, it's imperfect self-defense. So you don't ever want to be shooting for imperfect self-defense. Well, that's what maybe a prosecutor might say. If your defense is or your client's defense is self-defense, a prosecutor, Commonwealth's attorney in Virginia is going to say it's imperfect. Yeah. It's it, you went too far. And that's what they and that's the biggest thing. And they always do that. Well, I, forgive me. Not everybody and not always. I, what I see a lot of is they look at your injuries not mm -hmm. at your response. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and that's to me the wrong, the whole wrong thing with it. It shouldn't matter how, if I punch the person and I have heavy hands and I break their face because I'm just responding to the punch. So if I just hit them once or twice and they hit me, that, that to me is reasonable. That's a reasonable sure. response. But what I see a lot of courts looking at, well, there was blood on his face and there shouldn't have been blood on his face. So therefore you went too far. And same thing with castle doctrine, your home. If you put 10 bullets in them, somebody somewhere is going to say, well, you went too far. You should have only shot once. And I'm like, really? What if he was still coming at me? And there's a lot of cases we go into a lot of people and trigger a lot of people with some of the cases and how many times somebody shot somebody. But until you're behind a gun and somebody's coming in you and talk to somebody in war, the first time they had to shoot somebody, very few people just pop off one fire. I mean, there's right. just so much adrenaline, so much issue with you in that moment. You may not know how many. And there's a lot of psychology in this where they interview cops after they shoot. They always say, oh, I only shot once or twice. And they may have unloaded their gun and had no idea because it's right. so t stressful. So what about the idea that um, if you – you can only use as much force as is necessary to stop whatever attack yep. is coming at you. What, I mean, is that, how does that play into this? And that's the whole doctrine. I mean, that's the thing you're supposed to be reasonable in your response. The problem is the person determined reasonableness usually, and I'll say it this way for a long, long time in history. Now there's been this push for getting rid of guns, getting rid of all violence. And really it comes down to a belief that society should be without violence, right? 
and people get into this. Well, if we didn't have guns, we wouldn't have violence. And if we didn't do this. And so what we've done is we just keep trimming this doctrine of self-defense by that underlying current of saying, well, nobody should hurt anybody else. And what we do is we lose sight of the person who did the hurting in the first place. And that's the problem I have. Would I like to live in a society of no violence? Absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting when you look at some places like Great Britain who took away the rights of the people to own guns. The next thing that happened is in bars and stuff, they started using other objects. First, it was baseball bats and then it was broken glass bottles. And then, you know, it didn't take away the violence. It just took the methodology of violence away. Well, that's right. And so you can't. My point is you can't condition people by taking away the tool. They'll just get a different tool. The real issue is is a hard issue. But my point is. What has to come back to balance is that there's two people involved in this fricus or fray or whatever you want to call it. And both people have to be weighed and judged appropriately. And a good defense counsel is going to bring up the other the victim's side of this and what caused our guy to do what he did and why he did it and why the fact that he broke his nose is irrelevant to what happened in this case. And that's. Right. So I'm the prosecutor in this scenario, and I'm going to say you, your client used too much force, more force than was necessary to stop the attack that was that was coming on them. Yes. And then and your defense is then. My, no, no, no way. I'm going to say, but for his behavior, number one, this would never happen. Number two, all I did was strike him back the way he struck me. You know, there's a lot of things in there, you know. Yeah. So. But again, we're kind of got a loss from castle doctrine and, and the right to defend your home or your space. And again, those things don't apply. But the idea behind all this is when somebody enters your space like that or puts you in a corner where you can't back out, they have ev- ill intent at that point. And you're responding to that life event that you believe your life is in danger. That's the key to it. You believe you're in, you're in danger of bodily harm or death. That's what you have to believe to use self-defense. And bodily harm is if you punch me in the face, that hurts. That's bodily harm, you know. So that's kind of the issue. And here's what people don't understand. We're talking about self-defense, and I want to make this clear. What happens in these cases is, let's talk about this scenario of Jackie's husband, Daryl, and myself. We get in a fight. Say Daryl starts at this time. I swing back and break his nose. What happens is, but for Daryl going to the police, there's no self-defense because there's no crime. But Daryl goes to the police later and says, he broke my nose. I want charges. They take out a malicious wounding charge mm. against me, and that's where the case starts. And so you're charged with malicious wounding. What do you do? Is there a self-defense argument to be made here? And that's how these all start. There's assault and battery, malicious wounding, a homicide, all those things. Sure. I mean, you know, you killed somebody coming into your house. That's a homicide. So you have to bring the self-defense to bear on that. So all those things, and people misunderstand. It's not like we're having some kind of play in court where two people come in and they get to tell their story. Right. You're charged, and you're trying to explain and push to the court that you did nothing wrong in this situation. You as the defender. You as the defender, you as the one charged, the Mm -hmm. criminal, had every right to do everything you did. Right. And you're justified in your behavior. That's the key. Your behavior is justified. Your response to that attack is justified. And so just want you to understand that. So when you're charged with the charge and you believe, hey, man, 
that guy broke in my house. Mm-hmm. I only shot because I thought our lives were, my kids' lives were in danger. Right. You know, that's absolutely fine. And that's why you need to find an attorney who understands this and is going to fight for you and honestly continue to fight for the law change because how law changes is two ways. Either the legislature changes the law or the court system through what's called the appeal process starts to write opinions that are more favorable towards self-defense. And what's happened for years and years and years is those opinions have gone against self-defense and whittled away self-defense. It's important to remember, too, that we're talking very specifically about Virginia. Self-defense looks different in different states. This is very territorial. <laughs> very territorial. Uh, you know, property rights are very different out west, especially in Montana, Colorado. Those states just have very different laws that allow you to protect your property, your animals, your livestock in a different way than we do here on the East Coast. So just keep in mind that we're really speaking very specifically about in Virginia uh, and that if you go elsewhere, (laughs) if you're the bad guy and you go on somebody's property in Colorado or Montana, you may find yourself with a few extra holes in you um, versus in Virginia where you might not or lawfully might not. And let me make one other distinction. In Virginia, you have your cities and you have your counties. Mm -hmm. And that does make a difference. It's just reality. Counties look at things much more pro self-defense than cities mm. because it, and again, it's this underlying curb to curb violence, underlying flow current to curb violence. Yeah. So you get in a city with a judge who sees violence every single day and he's sick and tired of it. He may start saying, well, you didn't have a right to self-defense, so I'm not finding it. You're, you didn't do, you didn't act reasonable. We'll see you later. So that's why sometimes a jury is so important. Okay. So today's points, the doctrine of retreat, when you're in your home, you don't have to retreat. When you're not in your home, you have to retreat reasonably. And that means you can't, if you can't, I like here, if I'm back in the corner, I can't go any further. That's as far as I have to go. But if you're in Walmart and you have the whole store to retreat, you probably ought to retreat and use the phone. Very good. So like and subscribe on our podcast. Next time, we look forward to seeing you again when we uh, engage a whole new series. And um, thank you for listening today. Have a good day. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of What to Do When. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, and we encourage you to check our archives to listen to previous topics. Tune in next week for a new episode and some fresh perspective from Kreiser Cardani.